righty, all righty. The manic expressionist herself, Patricia Miranda. Hello, how are you? Absolutely. We're doing delightful. How about yourself? I'm doing great, thanks. It's, uh, you know, it's been pretty hectic for me in terms of like uh, trying to get myself ready for Momocon as the recording of this podcast. <laughs> so I'm um, going to be working on doing my first panel up there this coming Sunday. So I'm just oh, trying wow. to get myself ready for that. Excellent. Uh, for those that don't know, it discusses all kinds of things, mainly comic book, anime, and just cartoons in general. But yeah, to get a panel there, uh, if you don't mind me asking before we begin, uh, how did that come about? Other With Momocon? Yeah, just other than, you know, being interested. I know you're, you've done stuff there before, but like, how did it? Well, no, actually, this is my first Momocon. Uh, I've done, oh. I've, I visited many conventions and I've uh, tried okay. to actually gotten my, try to get a panel over there. But uh, there was one time in which I did get a panel at Florida Supercon, which is all the way in uh, around the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area several years ago. But uh, they messed up my room. And uh, at <laughs> compensation, they actually just gave me a four day free pass. And I met up a lot of uh, cool guests over there, and I just um, walked around and just enjoyed whatever the convention had. And so I tried to get a um, footing into conventions and doing panels, but then COVID struck. And then uh, in wow. recent times, I tried to submit panels. I tried to do one for Momocon last year, but they declined me. And this year, they actually accepted me. So if you're interested in uh, checking it out, if you are in the Atlanta area... Uh, it is over by the uh, Georgia Convention Center over at, um, I believe it's Jefferson Street. And uh, from Thursday, I've, uh, you know, as of tomorrow, from tomorrow to uh, Sunday, May 28th, is going to be the um, um, major convention called Momocon. A lot of nice. amazing guests are going to be over there. A lot of amazing panels are going to be over there. I'm doing my panel on Sunday, May 28th at 830 in the morning. And it's about uh, analyzing, writing analy analytical essays in media. So that is what uh, my panel's about. Very sweet. Uh, how do you get uh, encouraged to do this? Like, uh, what what really just drives your the the creativity process with you? Would you say? Well, I, I guess I've always been interested in writing ever since I was very young I've wanted to just create stories of something that I knew something that interested me uh you know I went through like different periods with writing stories and then writing poetry and then writing uh stories again and then writing scripts for plays and uh recently I started um doing various projects that uh, had been taking a lot of my time and my old my stuff for old school lame started about like uh 10 years ago back in 2011 and it wow. was around the time <laughs> in which internet yeah. exploding post of seven <laughs> yeah so it was um basically a time in which my best friend and co-founder uh, co of old school lame kevin and i we were at a low point in our lives where we were unemployed there was nothing in the job market and <sighs> we just decided to just, we were basically in our quarter midlife crisis where we just like looked back on our favorite stuff from our childhood in the nineties. And that's when we decided to start old school lane. We started with blogs in our first year. Then November, 2012 was when we first uh, had our 
um, taste in podcasts where we did uh, a topic of Nickelodeon uh, for <laughs> link casual chats. And then uh, just recently, we just posted up our 200th episode. So 200. Yeah. Man. That is. Yeah. I, I, we probably would have reached a much higher number, but I juggle between like maybe five or six different podcasts. So. Yeah, I mean, in addition to that, I also do Picks Mix with Aaron Meta from the Aaron Meta Show. We look at every single Pixar I've film. I've heard of him, but haven't read his, uh, listened to his shows. But uh, you, you did tell me about the Pixar one, and that was cool because, you know, that doesn't just, again, it doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, originally when we went to see Coco together, we were like, you know, let's just talk about Pixar movies and uh, he came up with the idea about let's just watch it in random order. So we found a random wheel website and we just put all the Pixar films and then we spun it and whatever movie it landed on, that was the movie we were watching. <laughs> uh, Dream Machine, which was our follow up, which was looking at all the DreamWorks films. We just went traditional and right. we did other films where we went in the traditional routes. Like we looked at all the Roald Dahl adaptations for the Roald Dahl retrospective. And currently we are doing um, uh, Journey to the Blue Sky, where we're looking at all the Blue Sky Studios films. We're at the That's halfway sweet. mark. We just finished watching Rio a few months ago. And now we're diving into the fourth Ice Age film, which we'll talk about <sighs> sometime this summer. And uh, then afterwards, uh, we'll be going back into uh, Dream Machine again, because uh, as you know, uh, Ruby Gilman will be coming out uh, this summer. And That's right. And then the third Trolls movie is going to be coming out around Christmas. And then uh, as for Pix Mix, that will be um, Elemental. That'll be coming out uh, this year. So yeah, th those are some things that we've been tuning into, which is, um, it's been a lot, but you know what? It is a lot of fun talking and looking back on all these films and um, whatever topics that we talk about in casual chats, whether it be uh, TV shows, video games, movies, anime, just something that we enjoy doing. And that's what, that's something that um, in the 10 years of old school lane, I mean, that's been our goal is to just talk about things that we love and hoping that people can be able to tune in and enjoy. Right. <laughs> uh, what do you think just keeps you going overall, other than reintroducing this to people who, uh, you know, were not fortunate to actually see it back when it was first huge and what have you? You know, I think that even if you didn't see it when it first came out, it, it, it's never too late to be introduced to it. I think that for a lot of people who may have not tuned in to say, as told by Ginger, for example, because around 2000, when that show came out on Nickelodeon, there were a lot of other Nicktoons at the time that people were tuning into, like Fairly Odd Parents yes. or uh, The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius or Chalk Zone. And there were some people who had somewhat of um, kind of like a restricted bias towards the show because, you know, yeah. it featured a female protagonist and it was more about going through the slice of life storytelling as opposed to like being a wacky, goofy cartoon like a lot of Nicktoons at the time. So I've had a lot of people... Sexism was still in existence, guys, years before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also this was something that I mentioned uh, several times in my videos and my podcast that uh, I don't know if you've ever had a problem with this, but there were like certain shows that you couldn't watch because of your gender. Like, you know, when I was a yes, kid in the 80s, I wasn't allowed to watch things like He-Man or Ninja Turtles because mm -hmm. I was a girl. And apparently those shows were for boys. 
So, Lots of phobias. Even sometimes you just would get an unpleasant thing that just stayed with you where you saw, you know, parents saying, well, because I don't like it, I don't think you should rot your brain watching it either. And it's like, well, that's my brain to rot. That's my choice. You know, <laughs> right. Maybe it's yeah. good and you just don't like it. But yeah, the, there there have been plenty of those. I mean, I would see it with even uh, uh, Pepperin and what's the one MTV cartoon? Daria. Daria, yeah. And then uh, even other dorky stuff like Doug and what have you. And people would, yeah, that you would see sex, sexism wars, I call it, where it's like, okay, that this is for everybody. There's no restriction. This isn't for a mature audience or anything. It's not it just blows your mind when people just get in bad habits like that. Right. But no, I, I've received a lot of messages from people when they saw my videos and my um, discussion of the episodes of As Told by Ginger when I was one of the co-hosts of the podcast We're In Between with Casey and Ashley from the Friday Night Nicktoons podcast where we looked back on every episode of As Told by Ginger. We even had some people who were um, working on the show at the time and talking about what made the show so special and people who had never seen the show or people who hadn't seen it in a very long time were very appreciative of what we were doing. So I would just say that it's never too late to get into something. And if Absolutely. you were a person who kind of like brought into light of something that they've never even seen before, or maybe they have heard it, but never had the chance to see it, it feels really good to bring something uh, of of light to people because I mean there's just so much stuff out there and we tend to like miss one or two things and it's great to discover it even if it's been long since it's premiered <laughs> yeah you can only find certain copies because all the dvds have changed the music or what have you yeah <laughs> yeah that's an example of daria in which there mm -hmm. were a lot of songs that had to be changed because of copyright issues and Ridiculous. whenever that you listen to like the the songs that were featured on the dvd it's just not the same no and it's just and it just can't be replicated unfortunately unless you have an old vhs tape that you wore out <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> uh but yeah no the, there's there's so much uh, uh fantasy and sci-fi worlds and some of these animations and then there's just legit just very clever comedy that you can watch with the whole family adults will get certain ones and then yeah certain cartoon shows we can definitely discuss too where it just reminds you as to you know back when a cartoon really did kind of make a cool impression on you it wasn't just you know to fill time on saturdays <laughs> <laughs> But that's not to say that those aren't very special either. Yeah, I, sure, going Jim. back yes. into my um, <laughs> experiences and conventions, uh, I remember when I was waiting in line to meet up with Roger Bumpus, who you may know is the voice of Squidward. I was oh, having oh, wow. him, uh, yeah, I was having him autograph my Invader Zim DVD because he played as Professor Membrane, and there was a guy <laughs> right in front of me who was dressed up as the Scout from Team Fortress Two. And he was talking to him about a story about when he was like very young, he went from like different foster homes and he remembered that on the times that he was at his happiest was when he would run home after school and he would watch SpongeBob. And that just, you know, goes to show you about, you know, how much these shows mean a lot to you. And even if it's something that's to make you laugh, even if it's something that is to motivate you or to relate to you, anything can be of positive note. I think that, uh, you know, when people underestimate or undermine media, 
They think yes. of it as just like a waste of time or mm-hmm. something that is not worthy compared to like you should be reading a book or it's you should be doing. Brow. Yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> they they think like, of it as lowbrow. Yeah, and so why would it exist if it didn't have a purpose? I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's just it. You, we can hate something that we just for whatever reason we never understood. We can have a game show that's kind of tacky. We can have a reality show which altogether is kind of offensive but hey if there's a bunch of people watching it it's going to be on the air for who knows how many years and right right but yeah the point of the matter is is that um even if a show means like less to you compared to somebody else it doesn't mean that it doesn't leave a slight impression on them (laughs) yeah i mean it if it didn't if people are talking about it, what? Well, why wouldn't we believe it to be? You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, th- there's always people wanting to even kind of not to be too political. Kind of like how we see in certain schools how certain stuff is off limits for teaching, and there's other kinds of gatekeeping with uh, certain geekdoms. We do see kind of just other people trying to act like certain stuff doesn't exist, and it's like, no, 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 you can't. It's not how this works. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't think I really had that issue because, Uh, I mean, in 2004, when the internet was at rampant, I mean, I was already in college, so we had free access to, like, watching things that we were able to, like, get easy access on. I mean, I remember when YouTube was just starting and people were just, like, uploading a lot of, like, uh, clips of cartoons from the 80s and 90s or uh, they were uploading anime and you know back when you know before that um, you know various uh, websites uh, you know had to like um, you know get them to easily access it like Crunchyroll I mean Crunchyroll didn't exist back then so we had to like you know watch like really bad versions of <laughs> yes. you know, poorly subtitled anime on BitTorrent websites and and, and if you wanted to be able to tune into that, I mean, you just had to, um, you know, wait until maybe a few days after it came out in Japan and then just watch it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't whenever I hear kids saying like, you know, oh, in, in our school, they limited the Internet. We couldn't go into certain sites. I mean, the only thing that I had as a kid on, you know, when we had computer classes was. You know, we learned like basic typing, like we knew about, you know, which, um, you know, which side of the hand you get to type on (laughs) with with letters on a keyboard and where's the enter button. And then uh, as soon as we were done with that, then we just played computer games. There was a lot of edutainment games that we had like Oregon Trail or Midnight Rescue (laughs) or Carmen Sandiego or something like that. So, yeah, whenever I hear kids thinking about that, it's like, oh, man, you know, like school has drastically changed from when I was a kid. (laughs) We'll return after these messages. Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, for instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. J- no, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, nope, don't like that. 
but we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous. I don't even know where to Anyways, be- uh, that'll do it from all of us here at Culture Shock. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always, am I the winner? (laughs) Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast sci-fi horror fantasy superheroes comedy action film television maybe some not so current events find us on itunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com cool thing about blind knowledge is we are in multiple countries we are worldwide all across the globe we are in the u.s we are in the uk we are in canada germany india japan we're in australia y'all blindknowledge.com Now back to the feature presentation. It's just crazy to think about. Uh, And here we are. We got to keep having these conversations just to remind people, hey, you know, just don't uh, actually question life, actually have a heart-to-heart chat with yourself and your loved ones and get comfortable with yourself. And then, I mean... Yes, there, there's so many ways to learn different things. I remember, do you remember when there was interactive CDs that you would actually interact with? But that seems to be a lost art. Everyone mm. has kind of gone back to gaming. I guess it depends. I mean, I think that interactivity, uh, it definitely has moved a little bit towards online, but I do see some people like interacting with one another. I guess it depends on where you're located at. And I guess it depends on, yeah. you know, what the, um, the meetup is. So I, I still like to think that uh, physical activity is still around. I would hope. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's so many other cartoons that have still just left an intriguing, just kind of, nostalgia with us because they are kind of almost like a Jim Henson way where they're trying to actually kind of have us learn stuff while we're interacting with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of stuff out there that you can be able to learn 
that we definitely didn't learn when we were kids. Like, <laughs> I remember when, uh, you know, Sailor Moon was out and the whole concept of Sailor Neptune and Sailor Uranus being cousins and all. I didn't know until like a little <laughs> later on that it's like, no, they were actually a gay couple. But nowadays, you know, we have like a lot of representation of the LGBTQ. Um, mm -hmm. We have like, uh, you know, Legend of Korra, The Loud House, The Owl House, Amphibia. Um, she ran the princesses of power. That's one example of something that, you know, we didn't have as kids, but today's kids no. have <laughs> uh, also different cultures. Like, seriously, I mean, you know, you had like, you know, the, you ever had like the, you know, you ever seen those uh, in those shows, like you have like the groups of friends and, you know, like, um, you know, one of them is like, you know, the African-American kid and the other one is like, um, you know, the the Jewish kid and the other one is the Spanish kid. And, uh, you know, there was like a little sprinkles of other ethnicities here and there. Culture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But nowadays, I mean, I've seen a lot more cultures represented than I've ever seen. I mean, there's Filipinos, there's Thai, there's uh, different flavors of, uh, you know, the Spanish community, um, a lot of different flavors of the Asian community, just things that, again, I've never seen. I've never seen all these cultures properly represented. And you know, also Cassid represent, you know, uh, authentically and with um, proper representation too, which I thought that that was fantastic to see. And I'm I'm really glad that, again, today's kids are able to get um, a taste of that. Totally. Yeah. So I guess another thing that, uh, you know, we want to talk about, uh, I guess, you know, the reason why you brought me here is uh, to talk about uh, animated films. Right. As well as one. We're, we're mainly highlighting the ones that just not just changed our lives, but just really felt culturally relevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess um, I'm trying to think what would be a good example. Um, well, one of my favorites uh, that I've seen, like it was over a decade ago that I remember seeing this and I was just like blown away by it was uh, a 2009 stop motion film. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's called Mary and Max. Are you are you familiar with it? And Max, I can't say I am. 2009? Yes, 2009. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's an, it's an Australian stop motion film. I see it now. Wow. Yeah, it's a great film, by the way. It's about an eight-year-old girl who is very lonely, and she's constantly isolated by her family and teased by her classmates, and she starts writing to a pen pal, and it turns out that this pen pal is all the way in New York City, and he's this, like middle-aged overweight guy who has Asperger syndrome and they start developing a friendship with one another writing each other letters over the years and we get to see Mary grow up and connecting with uh, Max and wanting to learn more about Asperger syndrome and you know trying to find a way to cure it and then Max was like really disappointed it's like no I mean even though that I struggle with my condition I want to be able to you know be proud of it and not be ashamed of it so it's it's based off of a true story, actually. If if you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend that you check it out. It's on Tubi for absolutely free. It's one of the best animated films that you would ever see in terms of like being very melodramatic, very real, and just beautifully detailed with this animation. I mean, stop motion is one of my favorite very forms of do. craft with um, <laughs> animation. Uh, you know, I like Leica, and I also do like a lot of Ardman animation, but whenever I see stop motion that's not done by those guys and they're able to tell a really unique story with it, that's when I really gravitate myself towards it. Totally. Uh, I've been, I've always been familiar with it from Rankin-Bass to 
Wallace and Gromit, but mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, it's very interesting just seeing just how it keeps changing altogether. Absolutely. You know, you know, the times have definitely made things somewhat easier for crafting animation. I mean, stop motion is still just as time consuming. I mean, you're able to like dedicate like eight hours every single day just to have like three minutes of animation going. But once you see the behind the scenes work of how they're able to make that done, it's really impressive. I mean, that's why in every single Leica film, you get to see like a major scene that they put in so much work into uh, come to life. And that's what's really impressive. Thousand percent. Yeah. So yeah, tell me a film that means a lot to you. Uh, you know, it's a like it or hate it, but um, I definitely recommend the rotoscoped uh, 70s Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, okay. The the one with Ralph Bakshi. Yes. Okay. Uh, just it's a like it or hate it, but it's kind of one of those where the style kind of just stands out a little more and the voice acting is pretty solid, but also just despite being grim, I mean, there's no way to tell Lord of the Rings without being grim, but I just mean it's interesting how you can probably watch it easily with someone of an earlier generation as well as with today's generation seeing what they think and out of all the earlier cartoons, this one probably rings truth because even though it kind of ends abruptly, it's still, it's just very ambitious and you kind of applaud them for trying any kind of version of this. Yeah. I think that they were going to do Return of the King next, but I think there was like some complications with the production and so eventually Rankin Bass did it. Totally. Uh, they, they they pretty much the rights reverted when they didn't make use of the contract, but it made both Time Out and uh, the Online Film Critics Society of Best Animated Films. So I thought I'd bring that up because while it was kind of in and out and long forgotten, it's had a solid cult fan base. And if I'm going to give any applause to any animated movie for their ambitiousness, it'd probably be that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I talked about something similar during Fantasy Month in, uh, in Search of the Crystal Skull. That's another podcast that my uh, co-host Aaron Meta from the Aaron Meta Show and I do, yep. where we look at films in the 60% to 79% range on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and during Fantasy Month, our first film that we saw was Rankin Bass's The Hobbit. It was the first attempt of trying to adapt anything like that. This was made for um, TV. Yeah, made made for TV. And yeah, if it, it, it's definitely a more truncated, more shorter, and more straightforward adaptation of The Hobbit. I saw it in school. <laughs> yeah. Twice. I remember I saw it when I was about seven or eight years old when Cartoon Network had Mr. Spim's Cartoon Theater and they would have like these um, showcases of old um, films oh, from totally. the 70s. Yeah. Great. Black. They even would show Return of the King on a lazy Sunday every once in a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. They show and Flight of the Dragons and um, Twice Upon a Time um gulliver's travels lots of really obscure even don bluth stuff like five ghost west or something. yeah <laughs> even though that wasn't don bluth uh, steven spielberg did that uh, he did uh don bluth did the original american tale but yeah he never did five ghost west i think oh, that okay. when five ghost west was out i think that don it bluth just... was 
producing Rockadoodle or Anastasia or something. Oh, uh, like gotcha. So he jumped the ambulance ship and they. Yeah, exactly. He, gotcha. he jumped the ambulance ship. Yeah. But no, he has some interesting stuff too. It's interesting how everyone has gone back and forth on both Titan AE as well as Disney's answer to that, uh, Treasure Planet too. And yeah. Even some of the other post 90s ones, which kind of scratch your head because you, you saw the vhs trailer so you figured hey you know it was a big smash hit and then surprisingly some of these weren't too kind financially or critic wise but they're they've been kind of uh they're just as much as part of the disney machine as some of their earlier materials so it's mm. yeah it just goes to show you that box office numbers and sometimes yeah. even um mixed reactions from professional film critics does not dictate on how um media is going to be as a whole it just right. goes to show you that even films that were considered to be massive flops at the time are now just as influential to media as anything i mean it's a wonderful life was a box office bomb oh, yeah. when it first wizard came out oz, yeah. yeah wizard of oz exactly <laughs> yeah exactly and now those are just as beloved as anything and <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of funny that you mentioned about that um, that time period when you know they were trying to do animated sci-fi films and it just didn't exactly click with audiences, you know, <laughs> like Atlantis, Treasure Planet, Titan AE. It just was kind of like that awkward period where they were seeing that the audience was growing older and mature, and they try to deviate from what they were doing and try to do something a little bit different. And <laughs> it, it felt kind of off-putting, but you couldn't say that they didn't try. Yeah. And it's even kind of wackier how some of these companies have merged with the other, you know, Pixar merged with Disney, Fox right. is now Disney after Don Bluth tried to escape there. And uh, some of these people who we've had grown up admiring have unfortunately had some scandals, but still do conventions, still uh, just really did so much for animated uh, crowds. And I, I think we're kind of getting to that point where we're actually also trying to understand storytelling better through animated lenses because mm -hmm. so many people reference it, but we don't really always know why they responded to it a certain way. You know, is it how the joke telling tells the story better? Is it how just storyboarded it is that it just really just, it, it just, leaves you just feeling just so giddy after the fact you're just like man that was an experience unlike any other yeah absolutely i think that presentation is definitely key but also at the same time you know how the story is and how the characters are and when all of those combine into one then it becomes a great experience i think that um, you know, even sometimes if something is lacking, as long as the other makes up for it, then it'll become an experience in its own right. Like, for example, uh, if you want to go into like, oh, you know, this, the the animation wasn't that great, but the story and the characters were great. Like yeah. uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, <laughs> for example, back in the, the 50s and 60s, uh -huh. in which, you know, they, you know, were working pretty limited. They had almost like no money to work with and they were animating on a, stu in a studio in Mexico. But at the same time, you know, what made up for it was the clever writing and the, the, the characters and the voice actors who were able to make it like if it was done on a radio show back in 
the 40s. And so they were able to stay within infamy because of the writing and the characters. And then there is also the fact that we go another direction where sometimes the animation is fantastic, but maybe the story and the characters are not that great. I mean, let's just say uh, Gay Paris from the 60s where uh, Chuck Jones and his wife Dorothy had left Warner Brothers briefly <laughs> and went over to UPA and wrote and directed this movie that had beautiful animation and it had, um, you know, music written by the same people who wrote The Wizard of Oz. And oh, it was wow. Judy Garland in one of her last movies right before she died. I mean, the animation is this. gorgeous, by the way. I mean, it's UPA. You know, I know Chuck Jones, known. but I, I don't I'm actually not familiar with this one. I, that's that's wild. Yeah, it's 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 all right. It's not a great movie, unfortunately. It's kind of slow paced. I mean, a lot of I, I even said this when I did my podcast with my friend Chris, aka Rowdy Seymour from TV Trash, where we looked back on the um <laughs> the bronze. Name. Yeah, when we looked back on the bronze and um, the silver and bronze age Disney films from the 60s and 70s, where a lot of the movies at the time were pretty slow paced. Yeah. And Gay Paris was kind of no exception. It was very slow paced. And a lot of the people from UPA were trying to like follow the Disney formula about like including all of these songs. It's like, hey, we got Judy Garland. Hey, we got the same songwriters as Wizard of Oz. Let's just put a whole bunch of music in there. But <laughs> the music is nice, but it doesn't flow with the story. I think they were just trying to add in music is because, oh, well, Disney, you know, does music with their movies. Let's is see if like we can do the Phantom, same thing. Is it kind of like Phantom Tollbooth or something? Yeah, so yeah, exactly. That that was the movie that uh, Chuck Jones did after Gay Paris. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so this was like after, yeah, this was after uh, when Warner Brothers found out what Chuck Jones did and they fired him. And so he became a freelancer. He did, uh, you know, he did Phantom Tollbooth and then, you know, he worked with Dr. Seuss and animated all the, the Dr. Seuss uh, adaptations. So yeah, that's exactly what happened. But yeah, I, I, again, depending on what craft you're focusing on, it can be really good like it could be really influential and really breathtaking yeah. but you want to have hopefully the entire package working for it like you you know you could have like great characters and great story but if the animation is lacking you know sometimes it could be a little bit of a downfall or distracting or sometimes you can overlook it same thing with you know art style you know if the art style and animation is breathtaking but the story and characters are just kind of lackluster again you're you could either you know find it distracting or you can overlook it as for me i'm one of those people who kind of like tries to be a little bit of both but i am kind of distracted when there's an imbalance between one or the other fair enough i i actually not to be a contrarian i actually thought uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle was actually by Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> it just looked very familiar to me all, uh, years ago. And it's about the fifth time this year where I've actually had to remind myself, ah, no, that's just never a thing. But yeah, that, that's Jay Ward Productions. But Jay yeah, Ward. I, I, I don't blame you for thinking that because, I mean, when you think about Hanna-Barbera, they were like the dominating force of animation during like that time period from the 60s <laughs> all the way up until arguably maybe like the 70s and the early 80s. And then when you had like Filmation come along and then <laughs> when you had um, Ralph Bakshi have his production studio when they were doing yes. the Mighty Mouse cartoon. I mean, yeah, you, you basically had Hanna-Barbera doing all of their shows. And, you know, that's where we got a lot of programs and 
you know, a lot of them were kind of just copycats of things that they've done in the past. But for a lot of people, that was all they had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, going into movies, uh, you know, Hanna-Barbera back in the 80s did the Superstars 10 where they had like, um, you know, uh, Hey There, It's Yogi Bear. They had like um, <laughs> uh, the Flintstones meet the Jetsons. They had uh, the three. So Scooby-Doo much crossover. Movie. Yeah, there giant. was a crossover. Yeah. Uh, there was this the, the three Scooby-Doo movies where it was Scooby-Doo meets the Boo Brothers, um, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, Scooby-Doo meets the uh, the Ghoul School, and then Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. So Yeah, I saw those a bunch, but the, for whatever reason, the laugh track in those were kind of a little, always felt last minute to me compared to the main show. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why they put in the laugh track at the time. I mean, you know, they were trying to essentially do an animated sitcom. And with the so, times. Yeah, and at the time, you know, laugh tracks were there in sitcoms. They were there in I Love Lucy. They were there in Dick Van Dyke. Again, the Honeymooners, which, you know, debatably got a lot of their inspiration from the Flintstones. So that's why laugh tracks were there. And I think that, you know, when they differentiated between like, oh, this is a cartoon. Let's just remove the laugh tracks. I don't think we need it anymore. I think they kind of got that notion. <laughs> it gets weirder on later Flintstone movie specials where you're just like, uh, should be laughing any minute now oh, yeah no. exactly yeah when you see no. like a man called flintstone or um i yabba dabba do or holly rockabye baby it's like oh where's the laugh track oh there's no laugh track okay <laughs> okay cool are you a fan by any chance of uh i saw this was added on a bunch of different ones uh, uh are you down with the uh bugs bunny roadrunner movie Oh, um, yeah, I, I I would say some of the Looney Tunes movies, uh, you know, there are some that are, it, it's kind of funny because I know that a lot of them were just basically like compilations of like shorts that they try to make into a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I feel that, you know, something like, you know, Looney Tunes, if it can be like made into like a full length feature, um, I think that the the core of it is just the characters, you know, acting crazy. I mean, I don't really think of it as like something that involves with like a deep storyline. Gotcha. I think that, um, you know, something like Looney Tunes doesn't really need to have a full length movie to be enjoyable. I mean, it's enjoyable as it is, as like, um, you know, just them, you know, going into crazy situations and just making whatever humorous moments that they can be able to, you know, pull out in either seven, 11 or 24 minutes. So at full length, on the other hand, I mean, you really have to be consistent with the humor in order for that to happen. Yeah. Um. I, did, I don't think I've really seen too much of that. I mean, even I know a lot of people like grew up with, you know, things like Space Jam it's actually funny because i remember yes. when i saw space jam in theaters and the first thing that i saw when i was lo- waiting in line was just people outside literally selling merchandise so even before i saw the movie there was already people selling merchandise outside like the the the, the jerseys and the toys and the secret stuff which was literally just a bottle of water so <laughs> i mean I, already i knew from the moment that i that you know that i was waiting in line i knew this was just definitely a promotional push so yeah <laughs> I, I wasn't like fooled into it you know so uh even when i saw the final product 
yeah, I, I just wasn't really crazy about it. And I have not seen Space Jam, A New Legacy either. I, <laughs> I, I, I was definitely not interested in tuning into it. So I'm sure at some point I'll have to watch it. But uh, in the meanwhile, I have stayed away from it. And um, I have not seen Looney Tunes back in action either, even though I've heard some people said it was pretty okay. I saw it in the theaters, but it, it didn't have anything on the original Space Jam for me. But uh, the, the sequel is like it or hate it. It's going to either be fun or you're just going to be like, eh, it's not feeling it. <laughs> We're good okay, to all. Fair enough. <laughs> Sounds but, like I'm not missing much. Uh, I just thought it was fun that they just implied we're kind of making fun of cinematic universes. They're like, hey, we're the Warner Brothers universe is a whole thing. <laughs> They're all <laughs> in the audience. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, th there always seems to be a case in which, you know, whatever is going on at the time, they have to make fun of it. And it, it would be a really great concept because, you know, Looney Tunes has always made homages or has poked fun at whatever was out <laughs> so at the much. time. And I would think, <laughs> hey, if done correctly, this would have been brilliant because they could have, you know, made fun of the Marvel Cinematic Universe or everything <laughs> needs to be connected. Everything needs to be a franchise film or something. And again, if they would have done something like that, like poke fun of it, I think that that would have been brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, like I said, I've not seen the movie, so I don't know if maybe they went into that direction. I could be completely spoiling myself. They so. totally go there, but it's again, it's a like it or hate it. Like you're either going to find it too much or you're going to find, yeah, I can watch this with kids. It's OK. OK, then. All right. That's fine. But who knows? You might find it tacky. You might find it annoying. I I can't say. Everyone varies on that movie. I just was like, hey, this is not a four out of ten star movie for me. I wasn't bored, but yeah, yeah. it also wasn't brilliant. It would never make a top ten animated right. list ever. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's actually funny because, you know, I feel really bad for, like, Warner Brothers because I knew, like, for a long time they tried to, you know, release theatrical movies, but unfortunately, like, most of them were bombs. Uh, I just finished recording an episode of my podcast that's literally coming up on Memorial Day. Um, it was myself, um, Diva from Musical Hell and that long hair creepy guy, and we talked about Quest for Camelot. <laughs> yes. One of my yes. sister's favorites. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, it's, it's, you know, when you hear about the behind the scenes stories about, you know, how much of a disaster the making of that movie was and how the um, people who are working on that film were just like really frustrated that all the executives wanted to do was just make it into Disney when the original source material was supposed to be darker. Yeah. And then when the final product came out, the food, the audiences and the critics were not fooled and it became a box office failure. I mean, you should have seen like the promotional push that they try to do to it. Like I remember every other VHS is like had to have an ad for that or some other Warner Brothers film that had a Disney approach. And it was just like, okay, that's a big voice cast, but yeah, exactly. Uh, I would get it mixed up. You'll find this funny. Uh The Road to El Dorado, the DreamWorks movie. <laughs> oh, interesting. Because <laughs> the hmm. same almost exact style, just 2D and you know, there's no mistaking prince of egypt because that's a biblical yeah exactly movies, yeah. but that one for whatever reason just uh, just had certain even though it was taking on just arthurian legends and other stuff it just it just looks similar to me even though it's a totally different time period just <laughs> yeah different. we're talking about like maybe 400 years oh yeah totally and we're talking even. about like you know instead of taking place in england it takes place in spain then going all the way into like central america totally 
Yeah, but I can see where you're coming from. It kind of has like that same humor and that Indiana same... Indiana Jones for kids. Yeah, exactly. Indiana Jones for kids, yeah. <laughs> Indiana Jones already is kind of for kids, but I just mean like you can watch it with a G-rated crowd without worrying, okay, this might be a little too intense. <laughs> gotcha, let's wait. Gotcha. Let's wait five birthdays from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get any like ripping hearts or melting faces or anything <laughs> like that. Jones, you son of a bitch! Yeah, it's nothing like that. Um, no, no, definitely not. Uh, but uh, do you have any favorite anime? Also, because I mean, we have so many others. Like the same team that worked on Akira later worked on Ghost in the Shell, and oh Steam, yeah, yeah, Steam it's Boy. actually funny that you mentioned Ghost in the Shell because um, <laughs> when I was, um, it was it was before COVID hit. It was I remember this. It was March 2020. I was in Florida for spring break. Uh, this was like around my sophomore year in college, like going back to college. Um, you know, I, I went to college from 2004 to 2008. And then after 15 years of the like, curve, man. <laughs> yeah. And then after like working like over a decade in, you know, odd jobs because the, you know, basically like the job market sucked and the place yeah. that I was at, I was not in a good place. So I decided to go back to school. And so on uh, my sophomore year, on my second uh, uh, t- second time in college, I went to the Morikami Museum, which is located in Florida, the South Florida Sweet. to be specific. Uh, by the way, it is a great Japanese museum and gardens place. I would recommend that if you are into that, please go there. And when sure. Aaron and I were there, there was an entire exhibit dedicated to Ghost in the Shell. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, there was like animation cells. There was animatic to final product. Was this before they did the 3D remaster? I never saw it, but I heard about it. Um, I think it was. Okay. I think they might have been promoting that, actually. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, I, I think this was like maybe, I would say it was like maybe a year after the live action version came out, the one with Scarlett Johansson. Mm. Yeah, so I think that maybe it was kind of like, oh, you know, this live action movie's out. Maybe it was kind of like to, you know, see where the original source material came from. Anyway, so yeah, I loved Ghost in the Shell when it first came out. Akira was a fantastic movie. It was definitely leaning more towards like the Tetsuo, yes. Dragon Ball Z. It's a convoluted story. You miss an episode, you're lost. You're like, what's going on? You got all these almighty gods. But they want the world while another one wants to free the world of this tyrant. And yeah, it's all kinds of serialized. Yeah. And, and I guess I wouldn't be, you know, an anime fan without talking about something from Studio Ghibli. Like um, oh, yeah. I was I remember when I was a kid and I remember like the early dubs of, you know, Kiki's Delivery Service and Castle in the Sky right before Disney came along and did the dubs for it. And yes, I remember yeah. when Spirited Away came out when I was in college. Uh, no, I was in high school. It was 2001. Yeah, I was in high school. And I remember when everybody was into Spirited Away. And um, I then I remember that there was like a massive push for all of the uh, Studio Ghibli films because um, Hayao Miyazaki was good friends with John Lasseter at the time. And so you <laughs> know, there was a lot more push with the dubs. And that's when we got to see like newer takes on I didn't know the dubs involved. from... Oh yeah, that's that's literally how we got them in the first place. I thought it was some other guys there, but that's wild. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's true that that's how we got the the newer dubs of um, you know, of uh, the Studio Ghibli films in the first place was because Hayao Miyazaki was good friends with John Lasseter. Wow, yeah, yeah, small world. That's the thing, you know, as somebody who you know has had you know experiences with helping with media projects. 
um, they, you, it's kind of um, hard to believe for those who haven't had the experience, but you know, the, the media industry, the entertainment industry is smaller than you think because everybody knows somebody from another studio or from another uh, company or something like that. Like, you know, somebody from ABC would know somebody from NBC and <laughs> vice versa. You know, they're good, you know, they're good colleagues with one another. They've worked together on various projects and, yep. you know, you want to be able to keep yourself, you know, a good float and, and, you know, work hard and showcase that you're able to learn from everything that you've been taught and just go out there and do the best that you can. And trust me, if you do not, they will report back to the other company. If, you know, let's just say that <laughs> yeah. you were let go, they will hear deal. about They're you. They're gone. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're gone. Yeah. They will say, okay, well, I know that you didn't do good with this company. Well, I mean, we don't want to work with you. So say, trust me, it's a small world out there, you know, just... <laughs> do your best with whatever work that you're given totally totally yeah so yeah studio ghibli i loved um you know films such as um kiki's delivery service uh nausicaa the valley of the wind castle in the sky princess mononoke um i really do enjoy spirited away it's like in my top three but i don't like hold it above a pedestal like a lot of other people do um i also really enjoyed um how's moving castle there you um, go. Yeah, I really love that. Um, I haven't seen, um, you know, like the newer, um, you know, films from Studio Ghibli. I haven't seen um, Pompoco. Um, I, I haven't. Either. Yeah, I haven't seen Pompoco. Uh, I haven't seen uh, My Neighbor the Yamadas. I haven't seen um, Earwig and the Witch. I've been hearing about that, but I haven't seen it. And from what I understand that the next um, Studio Ghibli project is going to be Miyazaki's last film, <laughs> quote unquote, last film, because yeah. he said that like four or five times. <laughs> the last film he's doing, it's going to be his retirement film. He said that ever since Princess Mononoke, you know, it's like, oh, you know, whatever reason he decides to come back and do one more film. OK, uh, you know, oh, we, you know, I'm done with that. I'm going to be retired retiring after i'm done with princess mononoke oh i got to do spirited away okay i'm done with that i'm gonna retire oh i'm going to do how's moving castle okay i'm done oh uh, here comes ponyo oh uh here comes the wind rises so yeah even though that miyazaki says that this is going to be his last film and he says it was going to be dedicated to his grandson we know that there's probably going to be something up his sleeve that he's going to be working on. I mean, <laughs> at least I'm hoping so, because I mean, you know, even though that Hayo has his, you know, interesting takes on what he feels about certain things. Like I know he doesn't like 3d animation and I know that he, there are some, you know, bits of storytelling that he kind of finds a little bit meandering, but I mean, yep. the man's a genius at the end. Absolutely. It there's no way anyone's going to just absolutely hate him unless they're for whatever reason are like some of the gatekeepers you described at the beginning where there's like, eh, cartoons are for stupid people. It's like, well, speak for yourself. <laughs> well, I, I would granny. say that I would say that that's kind of like more of, um, of a North American thing, uh, because I countries are a boomer thing. I guess so. I mean, I would say that I'll, I um, don't complain at you if you want to watch your game shows or your doctor or cop shows, but leave people <laughs> to their devices. God's sakes, can all be enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this is more of a North American thing, to be quite honest, because again, Japan <laughs> has always been on the stance of, you know, what is this pro, you know, when we're doing anime or when They're we're totally doing like pro a film. animation, especially yeah, as your mind. When I, 
given how Hanna-Barbera relocated to South Korea for when they had all those animated Scooby-Doo movies. Right. But yeah, I mean, every, it's they basically, whenever they, they did their projects, they kept in mind that this is for a general audience. I mean, if, if something is for kids, then they'll do it for kids. But at the same time, they want to, you know, add in some things that the adults can get into. Same thing with other European countries like France. <laughs> like, uh, as I mentioned France, before, yeah. yeah, France is big when it comes to animated films for all audiences. <laughs> um, like, if you look at some of the films that they have, like Triplets of Belleville or um, oh, Ernest, yeah. and, that was or Ernest and Celestine or Leap or um, Persepolis. Like a lot of the stuff that they have is for all audiences. And some of it is like pretty dark. And again, it's leaning more towards the all audience stance that, you know, hey, you know, we're not just doing this for like little kids just because it's animated. I mean, we're, we're you know, generating this for everybody. Everybody can be able to, jo and to enjoy it. And if you're not ready to watch it yet, then, you know, you have to be at the right age for it. But that's not to say that there's nothing that you can gravitate towards. I mean... Unless, of course, if it's violent or anything like that, then, of course, stay away <laughs> from that. But if it's, like, sophisticated, like, again, Triplets of Belleville, like, if you if, if a little kid were to watch it, it'll be, like, kind of, kind of confused with it. Because it's like, okay, you have this guy who wants to be uh, a biker who is training <laughs> for the Tour de France. He gets kidnapped by the French mafia. It's up to his grandmother and his dog to rescue him. So that he can be able to be, um, you know, not killed off by the French mafia who are doing these underground Tour de France simulation <laughs> bike races. And we need to have these three old women who are apart once upon a time in, um, um, what you call it, uh... Uh, you know, in a stage a century, show, but yeah, yeah it's yeah, in a stage show. They they used to do like a lot of stage performances in their youth. But yeah, and, it's either going to be a fever dream or it's like you say, it's going to take a minute. A, a kid might need a parents to help. Yeah, them exactly. It they need to have like explanation on what am I watching? But if you watch it as an adult and you kind of have an idea on what you're watching, then it becomes really sophisticated. So <laughs> it depends, you know, I, I think that for, you know, anything that can be able to be really engaging as both a kid and an adult, those are the things that really stand out. It's the ones that stay with us. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're lucky, you might even have some other relatives who are also really into cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's weird how it can be a mixture of everything. They'll watch a hit sci-fi or drama show then they'll watch an art house movie then they'll watch a classic 70s concert and then they come into these so it is interesting for, for anyone who has any family member who's wants to show your you their record collection as well as their movie finds don't don't ever turn them down please no no absolutely not i mean it, it's like the old saying goes what what's old is new again it's kind of funny that yes. i'm you know going out shopping and i see you know vinyl records again and people are buying them unheard so, of man it's yeah like... like i mean who would have thought that like 15 years ago when everybody was like purchasing ipods and it's like oh you know we don't need physical media anymore nope. you know we we can be able to just download things on our apple stores it's like okay well meanwhile we have physical media out there you have vinyl records you have the actual record players i mean i just literally like two years ago uh, I, I don't uh, if for those who are interested i also do unboxing videos from time to time yeah and, <laughs> yeah and uh, one of the things that i had purchased were the um uh, the hey arnold volume one soundtrack <laughs> on a vinyl record 
How did that sound? I believe it sounds awesome. By the way, if you play it on a record player, it sounds really good. Like the quality of it is excellent. And also, if you're a fan of the Adventures of Pete and Pete, for a while they actually had their entire soundtrack released on a vinyl record, and that also sounds really great. So yeah, vinyl records give that um, that audio quality that you know is is pretty great if you're listening to it. And I think that um, the fact that there's like shows that are being released on vinyl records, even movies that are released on vinyl records, like I'm not even joking. Yeah, Moana is released on a vinyl record. Frozen is released on a vinyl record. <laughs> yes. Zootopia is released on a vinyl record. The Zootopia uh, animated... one, I was forced enough to see like, I think it was shown at an art show. Mm. Believe it or not. And I was like, oh, what is this? Oh my God. Oh, we're having some crossover with other different kinds of medium and art and i was just like man but yeah uh, to have vinyl be for recent stuff is that, that is saying something yeah i've recent i i think i saw soul and luca being released on vinyl which is actually cre- pretty crazy and and you know even shows like uh steven universe and adventure time are released on vinyl records and you would think vinyls really but no people are still into that stuff like I said, what's old is new again. And even with like uh, introducing young kids to like old shows and movies that you grew up with. I mean, if it's <laughs> going to be just as great as it was when you first saw it, then high chances are that they'll be able to enjoy it too. Totally. Yeah, I, I, there was something that we, uh, that Aaron and I talked about when we were doing Pix Mix and we were talking about like the Toy Story films. And we were saying like, you know, when when you saw, when you see the original Toy Story, you know, Andy is like a young kid. And then when you see Toy Story 3, he's going off to college. I'm sure that, you know, for a generation of kids, they grew up with Andy, you know, going over from, you know, when they first saw it in 1995 to 2010. And that's like, that's like over 15 years and then when we talked about from Toy Story 3, Toy Story 3 to Toy Story 4, that was a nine-year jump. And so I'm sure that people who saw Toy Story 3 as their first film, they probably saw the progression from where they saw, you know, Buzz and the Gang and, you know, they saw Bonnie as, like, their, the new owner. And now that, <laughs> you know, you have the continuation of the story with, like, all the Toy Story tunes, like Partysaurus Rex and Small Fry and... Um, you know, Barbie and Ken's Hawaiian vacation and following all the way up until eventually Toy Story 4, there's a generation of kids who grew up with watching a lot of the adventures with Woody and the gang as Bonnie's toys. So, you know, again, that goes to show you about how big that generational jump is. It's like... um, So big. (laughs) It is big. It is massive. Like, you know, usually a generation, depending on, you know, which generation it is, it lasts for maybe about like maybe 10 to 15 years or maybe even 20 And a lot of things change with each generation. But one of the few things that remain the same is that if you introduce somebody of, you know, something that you grew up with and you can be able to grow alongside with them, it, it, it's, you know, something that you take with you. It never stops. Yeah. It's never going away, guys. (laughs) No, it's like with Pokemon. I mean, Pokemon's been around since 1996 in Japan and then 98 in North America. Did you ever hunt down the R-rated versions of those? Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, like, uh, you know, you have over 1,000 episodes, you have over 20 movies, and, you know, that thing is, you know, carrying on each generation. Yeah. Yeah, with all the the games and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Rivalries were always a thing. And I love how you did point out, you know, contracts, all these great animation minds (laughs) who just, you know, it's like studios 
back when sorry kids this was an actual thing back when they were mobster owned before the feds cracked down and started unions and everything it, it was interesting seeing how so many animators who were basically working for 70s equivalent of peanuts you know worked so hard and had a work that they were really proud of uh, and then yeah i mean but but there was always a rivalry and but before like you say Warner Brothers tried to imitate disney before pixar was squaring off with disney and threatening to you know boycott them if they you know didn't like their contracts or what have you it's and you know blue sky was really mind-blowing to me because i was like whoa they're working for fox and now sony sony's getting in on it and now some of these other ones that i uh, like the book of life and all these other things uh, that are even based in parts of austin and dallas is like uh, i think even the jimmy neutron studio is also there too like you say and it's like but they're, they're all got their own identity and it's even funnier when you see comedians like christian shawl or jack black who work for all of them and it's like yeah they all have a pixar or blue sky or sony credit to their to their name <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Yeah, it just goes to show you about even that there's so much animation studios out there and they're crafting something different. Like they're able to bring something unique to the table. Like Disney so has the 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 appeal with um, the different styles of animation and the story-driven characters and the way that they're able to incorporate their music. Uh, DreamWorks is able to have like their own style of 3d animation and at the same time it depends on you know what kind of style of um storytelling they're doing whether it be more comedic or action-packed or serious pixar they're always utilizing emotions and they're utilizing like the storytelling approach of like we're we're doing this for kids and adults but yeah i think at the end of the day you know everybody has their own distinct style and uh, and whether you prefer one or the other, it, it you know that's great that there's a lot of variety out there. And of course, I'm sure that there's a lot of um, times in which you know there will be companies that will try to write off of it. I mean, that's not yeah. too surprising. I mean, we've seen our fair share of like <laughs> Michael know, Eisner and yeah. some of these other guys. You're like, seriously, dude, why do you work here if you don't take pride in your work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, yeah, exactly. So. We want it's more been... of this, but we don't want it to be direct to video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, going back into the whole, uh, you know, you know, uh, approach of like Disney, where they were seeing that two D animation was kind of like going out of style, and when Pixar <laughs> and DreamWorks were pretty yeah. much dominating animated films, and I guess Disney's approach was like, yeah, let's just do a lot of these direct to video movies, and then John Lasseter was saying like, nope, no more, we're not going to do any more direct to video movies, and so after. Ariel's beginning then the studio was working on the planes movies and then the Tinkerbell movies right before he shut down that studio entirely uh, man yeah I didn't know about the plane scandal that's that's well yeah well just supposed to show you that even something that's lighthearted doesn't always mean that it's um gonna behind be lighthearted working on it yeah no. behind the scenes yeah <laughs> but um yeah it just um yeah I, I think that's what's interesting is that even with like uh, going in behind the scenes stuff, it's like, you know, you can definitely tell like a period of, of an animation studio when they're going through their best and when they're going through their worst. 
like, uh, you know, going again with my friend Chris, where we talked about like the different eras of Disney, like fans divide the eras of Disney into seven because it's like, oh, this is what <sighs> this is what happened. Like, yeah. you know, we have like when Disney first started, but then World War Two broke out. Oh, and now Disney is back on track. But then Walt Disney died. And then, oh, um, you know, this is a period where the nine old men were about to retire and, you know, have that mentality about like, what would Walt do? And then they <laughs> and they did retire. And then the new. Uh, the new people took over, like Don Bluth and Tim Burton and yes. uh, Richard Rich. And then, oh, we have the Renaissance period where we have um, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman and Glenn Keane and various other people taking over. And then, you know, oh, well, you know, here comes competition. Here comes DreamWorks. Here comes Pixar. 2D yeah. animation is dead. Let's go over to 3D next. Um, oh, we're, <laughs> we're back on track. Oh, we have to put all of our stuff on streaming because of COVID. So... Yeah, I mean, even with like uh, DreamWorks, they go through their period. It's like, okay, you know, we're starting things off. We have Ants is <laughs> our first 3D movie. Then we have the 2D stuff. Shrek became a massive hit. All of the 2D movies underperformed. Going back to <laughs> Shrek again and going back to the 3D again and making everything funny. Oh, you know, now we're setting a standard. And <laughs> uh, now everybody's trying to copy off of us. So look, uh, that Disney, you know, that Disney rivalry um, studio where they're doing something called Chicken Little, I think. And, um, you know, the, oh, and Disney's doing some movie called The Wild to cap off on Madagascar. <laughs> I was actually um, a huge fan of that one. But timing, man. Timing. Yeah, it is. It is timing. And the plot isn't anything like it, but it was just one of those kind of like Zootopia. They just hired outside help and then blended Disney distributes it. And you're just like, for real? Why, why did you? It's just why people want to even just throw movies away and not make any kind of profit just blows your mind <laughs> i could i i couldn't tell if you my movies you awful, know what they were i want my money back <laughs> exactly because <laughs> uh, yeah. i'm even and worse I, when i, I gotta distribute course... it on home video and explain hey that movie no one saw come watch it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and there's not going to be a lot of advertising for it. Um, like we're going to post it up on a like a promotional piece. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then of course, you know, DreamWorks had their, you know, hit around 2014 when Rise of the Guardians underperformed, then a lot of people were fired and then they had to restructure their company again and then jeffrey katzenberg left to do quibi and then that turned out to be a dumpster fire and then yeah. they were purchased by thinking? i it's have no idea so many good ideas but it was just like so you made all these movies that are divided into five parts why not just i don't know make an original movie and why you didn't have to create your own network <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and then of course you know the, uh, the whole you know buyout with universal and uh, you know uh, we're, yeah yeah, that, that's universal, thing. baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then Pixar, you know, we have, Wait, you know, them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where do we start with Pixar? Like, you know, going over from, okay, you know, we're off to a great start with, uh, you know, producing 3D animated films. And, you know, then we have, um, you know, then we have cars. And then afterwards, <laughs> we're going back on track with things. And then after Toy Story 3, then things got a little bit rocky. And then the whole Jeffrey Katz, uh, you know, Jeffrey um, Lasseter, uh, Jeff, yeah, yeah, John Lasseter controversy. Then he was oh, fired. Yeah. Then there was a lot of um, change in management. And then a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff, again, was put on streaming due to COVID. So, yeah, there's, um, yeah, every studio has its ups and downs. But that doesn't mean that, you know, nothing good can come from them. Correct. And we got to remind people, hey, you know, 
half the time we didn't know about this or we thought it was just people being you know jerks in the meeting room or you know we, we still we thought they were you know simple disagreements but truth be told that's this is not how it works but at the same time yeah you shouldn't let I mean, unless somebody has done something that really challenges your beliefs, you, you shouldn't just deny yourself watching a cool movie. Mm-hmm. But absolutely easier said than done. I get it. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> Sometimes it's just, yeah, it's not impossible. You're just like, hey, you know, 20 years ago, I consider this person a person. Now they've done something just really jerkish in real life. And I just can't disassociate them from the movie. But yeah, with the filmmaker, it's not like we see their face everywhere we go. But at the same time, I, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I understand for some people who cannot separate the art from the artist. But as for me, I, I, if that person was highly a part of it, it, it is difficult. But if they were just like minorly a part of it, I would just say that, you know, anything like you see on TV or you see on the screen, <laughs> it's done by more than one person. It's a collaboration. Correct. A lot of people were involved with it. I would say that, <laughs> yes, it's true that maybe that person that did something horrible, maybe they were the writer, maybe they were the director or the producer or something like that. Well, don't forget, there's also the person who did the storyboards or the music <laughs> yeah. or the animatic. Mm-hmm. I know it's sometimes hard. But, you know, there's also the case that, you know, you, I, I guess, you know, if you can't, then I completely understand. But for people who can, it's like, well, then focus on the people who were a part of. Focus on what works instead yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Focus it. on what works and focus on the other people <laughs> who did, you know, um, put their hard work into it and just focus on that. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> Focusing. That's another thing that seems to be a problem for so many people. They won't focus and it's just like well i mean before i write off a movie i want to at least compliment the filmmakers who spent you know hours on in some for some even years yeah for years and to open up with dismal reviews or okay reviews but not be admired until afterwards i mean you can even have, like you say, a mediocre story, but excellent animation that's award worthy, and you just have to say better luck next time. But I am, I will applaud Pixar for doing that with Cars by deciding, hey, we got really great animation, but we're about to break our rule by not having a great story. So let's, you know, do what we did with Toy Story 2, have it be back, push back a year, and then we'll be ready to rock and roll. Yeah. And again, I think that if something is delayed, that doesn't mean that, oh, we're just like yeah, preventing no you from watching it. Not all the time, but there are going to be times where it's like, hey, it just needs a little more rendering. We just overthought this way too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say that if something is taking a long time, then let people take their time to finish it. I mean, even Shigeru Miyamoto had a quote when talking about something that, you know, was delayed again and eventually would come out later. He would say a delayed game is eventually good, but a rush game is forever bad. (laughs) So, yeah, it's kind of like the same principle. If you're waiting on, I mean, like literally like uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse was originally supposed to come out last year. I believe it. (laughs) And, you know, they delayed it for another year so that they can be able to finish what they were doing. And now it's going to be coming out in a few weeks and a lot of people are really excited for it. So, yeah, I think that 
if they're able to take another year to finish up everything and if it's well worth it, then delays are a good thing. Yes. Uh, but like you say, everyone always like, it's like we're in clickbait mode now. They they see one report and they instantly assume foul play. It was like, no, 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 no. Just reread it. Don't read the attention getter headline. Re- read the actual thing and then come back. Yeah. Or, or, or you, you, you got to love the clickbait articles of like, oh, here's an update of this project that was supposed to come out. Okay. According to rumors from some person, they Ooh, say maybe. it's going to be coming out this time. Who knows when, but we know it's going to come out. <laughs> <laughs> they don't answer the question, but they're saying, oh, we got news that it's going to be pull coming a out. politician soon. move. <laughs> like, backtrack. Yeah. And uh, hey, uh, we got this coming out. And, uh, yeah, exactly. You got to love those. <laughs> You're not fooling anybody. Just say no. We'll stop asking. Shit. <laughs> yeah. So, any other movies that um, you want to bring up that should mean a lot to you? So, there were so many lists, and I got to get your take on some of these. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Because, uh, like, then there's, you know, there's ones like, Land Before Time, as well mm-hmm. as Brave Little Toaster and Song yeah, of the I've, South. I've talk, yeah, I've talked about uh, Land Before Time uh, many years ago on my Sullivan Bluth Studios podcast with um, uh, my good friend uh, James, a.k.a. Jaime Tude, and uh, Matt Brunet, a.k.a. Animat. Um, fan- yeah, a fantastic uh, film, by the way. It's one of my favorite uh, that Don Bluth was able to do. Um, really... Um, heartwarming very dark very cinematic i absolutely love it brave little toaster is definitely a film that uh was what was one that i actually saw a lot when i was a kid it, oh, it nice. actually there, there were some parts Pretty that actually grim, did though. frighten me <laughs> yeah. there were actually some parts that did frighten me though but every time that i got back to it i was always just engaged and just amazed by you know, there's this, you know, animated film that was kind of like done in an independent studio that Disney distributed, yeah. but it was something like I haven't you know, like seen at that point in time that was like really just dark and engaging. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I really like Bray Little Toaster. And as for Song of the South, never seen it. It's one of those where, I mean, like some of these other movies we mentioned, they're kind of a little grim. So you might only want to watch it with like a 12 plus crowd while others like, yeah, given the troubled history, what it's trying to say, the 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 wrongs, unfortunately, outdo the good. And I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be on a soapbox here, but it's just like Land Before Time I saw in pre-K and I surprisingly did not cry, but I think it oh, messed wow. me up. Okay. <laughs> and my mother was furious. She's like, why are they showing you movies? They should be showing documentaries or nature. You know? <laughs> I'm like, well, it's nature, <laughs> but it ain't. Yeah, I don't have anything to do with. <laughs> I don't even can't even tell you what we were discussing that day. I was oh, just okay. like, "Why are we?" Oh, you just want us to shut up and not talk while we watch a movie that we don't really know what's going on. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there there are so many ways to introduce a movie, and are you kind of shocked at how much isn't really even replayed all that more much anymore that. People forget when Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network would play Disney or Fox movies and vice versa. <laughs> Disney would even play. A it's all about distribution rights. That's the yeah. thing. Whoever settled the, yeah, the, uh, the copyright back then and 
it blew, blew your mind how they would come up with those ahead of time, but sometimes it wasn't always a sure thing. Sometimes they were literally repeated once and never shown again, and they were bigger hits at video stores, and you just couldn't believe it. You're like, really? Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> number one. Yeah, I, I mean, can you believe that at some point before Cartoon Network came along, Nickelodeon was the one who aired the Looney Tunes cartoon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they aired Rocky and Bullwinkle, and they aired a lot of other old cartoons. But, you know, again, due to distribution rights and due to some parts of the contracts being expired, it goes over to whoever that they can be able <laughs> to. Next. Yeah, whoever gets it next. So, um, yeah, just kind of crazy about, you know, where it goes into, you know, who's going to own the distribution rights. Like, you know, the new uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon, Amazon. Or, um, you know, if you want to watch the old Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons, you have to get a Peacock account. Or if you want to watch, um, you know, old Looney Tunes cartoons, go to, you yes. have to go to Cartoon Network. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy that you have to, like, jump, you know, you know, hoops and bounds just so you can be able to watch your favorite stuff. But, you know, that's just the way it was. I mean, it's not like, you know, like back then in which, like, if you wanted to, you know, tune in to watch um, Batman the Animated Series, but then, oh, no, no, it's like uh, <laughs> Ren and Stimpy's on the air. And, oh, no, you know, here comes Goof Troop. It's like, you know, you had to choose one or the other. But, you know, nowadays with the convenience of streaming, you can be able to just, like, you know, watch all of these, all you know, like, you know, watch one episode and then switch over to the next one and switch over to the next one. Yeah. But um, watch you, even... Yeah, but unfortunately, even streaming is not always reliable because no. you, you know, they're removing a lot of stuff, whether they're it be you know to so many costs or they don't have the rights to it anymore. It's kind of hard, and and that's why you have to hold on to physical media or your old recordings you really on VHS to. because that's all you're gonna have next. That is all you get, man. That's all you get. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. I remember listening to a, a podcast where they talked about how, um. There were good. There's going to be some forms of media that's going to be forever preserved because of its cultural significance. Yes. But then there's going to be like the obscure stuff that is just you know something that maybe you grew up with and only you, <laughs> and that's going to be faded away forever and nobody else is going to remember it because there's no way, uh, easy way of getting access to it. <laughs> and if, it's if it doesn't because... get taken away, then uh, you know there's always going to be someone who just. It's just not in their right mind. Yeah, like, it, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, unless, of course, if there's like a, a dedicated studio that's able to, you know, have like a massive uh, crowdfunding campaign to bring rejuvenation to a lot of these old forgotten shows or movies, then, you know, unfortunately, they're just, just going to be left in the wayside. I remember a few months ago when um, there was like a, a Kickstarter to bring back the DVDs of Calamity Jane, which was um you know thirteen episode miniseries that aired in the late nineties that I think so yeah and and you know pretty much nobody remembered it and there was only like uh, like really old bootlegs of it and all half of the episodes were missing but then there was this Kickstarter that said hey we're gonna bring it back we're gonna like bring back the quality of the DVDs of it we're gonna have like special behind the scenes stuff <laughs> and then people went crazy for it they, they you know the they were able to meet their goal and they were able to um, get this thing happening that just That's goes good. to show you that you know even the obscure thing 
things that people wanted, but, you know, major studios and major companies are going to be like, yeah, this is nothing that important. We can just like put it to the side. (laughs) It's like, let's just say Disney, for example, it's like, uh, you know, that, you know, stuff like Snow White and Pinocchio and (laughs) Little Mermaid and all that stuff, that's going to be preserved forever. But then, you know, like the, like the, uh, then we go over to like some of the, um, you know, the old wartime cartoons like Salud's Amigos or Melody <laughs> Time or even like some of the more obscure, you know, stuff that, you know, kind of like underperformed, say like maybe, um, you know, Meet the Robinsons or something like that is, you know, it's not going to be just as remembered. I-, I even talked about this where, you know, a lot of the Disney films from the 2000s, you can't even find merchandise on with the exception of Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, with the exception of Lilo and Stitch. It is very hard they, to find merchandise. They looked out on that one. I think it was the McDonald's Happy Mills. It just came in at that right at the end of that. Uh, just back when people were even stealing uh, SpongeBob merchandise on top of some Burger Kings that I would see, for whatever reason, stuff that was just kind of the losing animation. And back when we were first embracing DVD, and there, but yeah, it, to have a a show that everyone remembers as clear as day and the studio has just refused to acknowledge it. It's almost like when Warner Brothers ref- almost for longest time refused to embrace any of their uh, PTE in, you know, before it was the WB shows until B5 took off surprisingly well to where then they were like, okay, I guess we'll distribute some of our other cult shows. But yeah, it is so weird how so many studios will start uh, just uh work with each other but they won't they're they're just not if they're not fond of it they they want to kill it and it's just like well people aren't just that ready to reject it just that suddenly <laughs> yeah i mean that's why me tv which is a television Such channel a that came network. out a few years ago became a massive success it's like you know you missed all the shows that you grew up with back in the you know the, the 50s mm-hmm. 60s and 70s we're gonna bring it back and a lot of people tuned into it and they love it. So I would just see goes... other parts of it, but it seemed like half their material was like on WGN. But yeah, mm-hmm. now they have all these other rights. So they're doing fun trivia with all these other classic shows. And yes. uh, but yeah. yeah, the cartoon section is neat because they, they really do have some great animators just talking about some key stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I, I miss, like in like when you watch like a, uh, you know, in, in Cartoon Network, when they were first starting in the 90s, whenever they would air like a, a classic cartoon from MGM or from Warner Brothers or anything like that, they would always have like these people coming in and give you like fun facts. It's like, you know, yes. did you know that Bob Clampett did this cartoon did in 1949? <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, back then before the internet came along, this was like something that you would really want to tune into to get to learn all this stuff. Because unless, of course, if you, you know, were one of those people who went to the library and did all your research and, you know, if you were one of those people who like purchased the actual um, eight millimeter uh, animated, sh- uh, you know, shorts that they showed in the theaters and you would like look at it frame by frame, you didn't know any of this stuff. But now, now that we have the internet that, you know, you're able to know everything. I mean, you're able to know about, you know, their filmographies, you're able to know about, you know, what other programs that they worked on and all that kind of stuff that, you know, about facts that you would have never known otherwise. <laughs> Just all, that's the other thing, too, that we're having to cut through is it's like remind everyone, hey, you didn't always have IMDb at 
the tips of your fingers. No. <laughs> Let alone look at it while you're watching the movie. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you don't have that luxury. But um, no, I mean, uh, what we have now, I, I think that it's... I think that we're, what we're lo looking into with, um, you know, what we have in terms of our availability of media, I mean, we have more accessibility to a lot of things that we've ever had before, but it's still kind of frustrating when you, you see a lot of people still not treating this stuff really seriously. Yeah, or they use a lesser HD remaster, so it's like, okay, that's not Blu-ray quality, but that's an okay HD TV edit, but that's... We kind of expect better for what we're paying, you know. Right. Yeah. For a movie that I want to rewatch and show to a kid or a cousin, you know, it's just like it's not always gonna <sighs> cut the mustard. But like you say, you're happy that it's there versus not being there at all. Mm, yeah, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's, it's kind of. It's, it's just. <laughs> oh man. It, it's it's rough, but at the same time you know, you take what you can get. <laughs> uh, we, we get what we get. And then there's ones where it's like, yeah, I think we all need to simultaneously team up and report to customer support. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, I know you don't have the answer to this. Can we please talk to the head CEO? We'll be here. <laughs> we got all day. Yeah. Or, or maybe like, we'll, we'll give it to our respected person and then you never hear back. <laughs> uh, and they can't say because they they, they want to actually work <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much uh, do i tell them everything they're doing is wrong and get fired or do i or do i just let them know we we're giving it to the right people hopefully you'll hear something back hopefully but Hopefully. you're likely not going to hear anything back because they lost the rights and are trying to save face by showing a best of compilation or they don't care about that or they don't want to listen to what you think. And so we're just saying it nicely. OK, we'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of had like a similar situation all the way back in 2003 when I wrote to Nickelodeon saying that I wanted to see Harold the Jungle movie happen. Fan mail and... was still a thing back then, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that I didn't hear for several, several years until one day I got a letter from Craig Bartlett himself. And it was a drawing of Arnold, Helga and Harold saying, thanks oh, for wow. supporting. And um, yeah, it's as good I, as you're getting. <laughs> yeah, at the time, it was like the best that I could get because it wouldn't be for another decade in which we actually did get the jungle movie. I mean, it just goes to show you that fan demand, you know, again, this is one of the things that I really appreciate about what the, the fan base is able to do online is right. they're able to work hard to get the shows that they want to see come back. And, you know, fan demand, we got in the Jungle movie. Fan demand, we were able to get another season of Kim Possible. A fan demand, we were able to... Paul Thornberries have us. Yeah, Paul Thornberries, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we were able to get that too. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that... You know, if the people are watching and listening, you know, their influences are just as massive and just as important as um, anything like any executive who thinks that, oh, you know, these kids nowadays with their YouTubes and their Twitters and their Tumblr right. before they realize we're going to have to use YouTube as part of our marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It all matters, guys. Yeah, it, it, it really shit. does. It really does matter. It, you know, sh if supporting the official release really does matter. 
Um, you know, even as recently with um, going into Amphibia, where the creator, Matt Brawley, you know, he released a physical book about uh, one of the characters' journal. And then people bought into it and they were really loving it. And then Disney was noticing and then they granted permission for more stuff in the future. <laughs> and even with like, um, you know, all the fan participation, I mean, like there was an episode of Bob's Burgers called Brunch Squatch where <laughs> the fans, they were a part of a contest and they drew um these um um animation stills and it was a part of like the actual episode it's kind of like a reanimation project that you see online but put into an actual episode of the show right and then you have uh, these two guys who are huge fans of um the dungeons and dragons cartoon from the 80s yeah, there and you go. <laughs> they wanted to see the the last episode but it was never animated they got the script and they were able to like um get some clips of like the original actors and you know, they got some stills of what the uh, I remember hearing show about, that. Like about that. James yeah. Gapsy, then they, who would win. Yeah, and then they trivia. finally completed it. And then the creator of the Dungeons and Dragons game itself, his son, was like, oh, wow, I'm really impressed with the, what these fans were able to do. So it, you know, it kind of like became canon to like the series. Yeah, oh, totally. Did you ever follow the movie or TV version of Highlander? No. Okay, well. So there was a cartoon web webisodes back when that was first becoming a thing. And uh, the, the people loved it so much. They they did their own, they used archived voiceovers of the actors and made their own animation, completed the season basically. But it is interesting how, yeah, it just comes in forms of everything. People just kind of play God, jury, and executioner at times with certain fandoms and certain stuff. And then it comes down to, well, there is an ending, but the fans created it, or <laughs> there is no ending unless you do a crowdfunder and talk to someone at Universal. Yeah. And, and but sometimes even like crowdfunding to the original creators of your favorite projects doesn't automatically mean it's gonna happen. Sometimes like, they hate it. Sometimes they're like, no, no, I'm I'm past it. I can't recreate that magic, you know. Yeah, or they could be like, I wanna do this, but the studio will not let me. Yeah. They, they have refusing to give it to me. I don't know if it's my tone of voice or if they're just being jerks. I, yeah, I mean, look, at, no, look no further than Maxwell Adams. He's been trying for over a decade to do a Billy and Mandy uh, revival, but Cartoon Network <laughs> keeps saying no. And it's you know, like even, they want it to be a classic, but don't want any sequels or something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. On, streaming at one point i know yeah i don't know why mr warburton was trying to pitch galactic kids next door for 15 years and again cartoon network said no the <laughs> tremblay brothers uh the creators of the swat cast did this crowdfunding campaign where they were able to raise enough money for a uh, you know to make a 24 minute episode pitch to present over to different animation studios and again it's been almost a decade since that so happened long. and nothing has happened <laughs> and even like with Don Bluth going back into him, you know, you remember that he did that crowdfunding campaign for that Dragon Slayer movie. Mm -hmm. And then he pitched it to, uh, to various studios. They said no. Eventually Netflix said yes. But then they were doing this change where it was going to be live action and Ryan Reynolds <sighs> was going to be Dirk the Daring. So as if it's like, why did we even bother? You clearly had different ideas. <laughs> 
I mean, it can't be helped. I mean, if remember that, that people raise money for a pitch, they didn't raise money for the product itself. <laughs> so they're helping with getting it out of, you know, out of limbo and into existence. And, you know, that's the thing with crowdfunding is that it's a it's a gamble. You know, sometimes you get what you want. Other times you don't. But right. I mean, at, at least you can't say that, you know, they didn't try to pitch it to something that, that maybe you would have wanted to see, but right. it didn't always end up that way. And yeah. or maybe it did. And maybe it turned out to be fantastic. I mean, usually <laughs> that stuff is um, like I said, it's, it's a gamble. You know, you could either have something really good or you can have something really bad. It's it. There's no in between. No. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I remember when people were just like against like, you know, crowdfunding and revivals and stuff like that, because they felt like they wanted to have things in a certain way that they remembered. But they also have to remember <laughs> that a lot of things have changed since, you know, th that particular movie or show came out. And so they have to generate towards that audience like we uh, like Aaron and I, we talked about in the, the Jungle movie where it came out in 2017. But, you know, we knew that this was a project that was originally supposed to come out about 15 years prior. And it wasn't supposed to be like, oh, we're introducing this to a whole new generation of kids. No, this was supposed <laughs> to be for the people who grew up with it in the 90s. And it was supposed to be a conclusion of when Arnold find, found his parents. But because it came out that late, now they have to kind of like be almost like a continuation, but at the same time be a restart for people who've never seen it the first time. It's complicated, you know? I mean, you either go all the way with like completely rebooting it from the ground up, like the DuckTales re revival from 2017, or you can like have a continuation of it uh, from where it left off, like say Animaniacs from Hulu, or you yep. can just kind of rebuilt it from the ground up and have some elements that seem familiar like the Rugrats revival on Paramount Plus. They were so viable yep they were everywhere. Yeah that's pretty much it I mean let's be honest I mean even in this industry nostalgia makes money totally but, but yeah I, I think that um, you know the new stuff I think that people should also give a chance to as well I mean if yeah I remember when you know if a trailer for something doesn't seem appealing, then they'll be like, oh, I'm not going to go see it. But then the <laughs> next pe person will be like, oh, you know, thanks for that, that you didn't see this new original project. Now expect to see a revival or a reboot or a sequel to, a, you know, some, something that already happened. So I'm hoping you're happy about it. So <laughs> it's it's complicated. You know, it's just really complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I, you you try to be optimistic. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of difficult sometimes to be optimistic when everybody has an opinion about something. Yep. Well, you know, like um, I know people have mixed reactions on you know various you know things. I mean, even I myself have mixed reactions on some things, and. You know, I've gotten people saying, I can see where you're coming from. I've got people saying, well, I disagree, but I appreciate your opinion. Sometimes I've even gotten death threats. So, <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I've I've literally gotten death threats. But um, yeah, sometimes, you know, when when people post whatever that they can to state what they feel about it, you have to you have to sometimes be careful. But again, <laughs> it's all an opinion at the end of the day. If you enjoyed it, that's fine. Or if you didn't like it again, that's fine. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, altogether, uh, any other promotion you'd like to do before you take off? 
Yeah. So again, if you are interested in checking out my work, you can see uh, that I'm going to be showcasing my uh, YouTube channel, which is uh, youtube.com slash old school lane. Uh, I have um, various uh, social media platforms that you can check out. I have a blog, which is oldschoollane.net. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash oldschoollane. I'm on Twitter at patty underscore b underscore Miranda. Uh, you can check out my podcasts on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, audible.com, many places. Uh, if you're interested in checking out um, my podcast, um, I have several of them. There's Old School yep. Casual Chats, which is my main podcast where I talk about movies, TV shows, video games. I have interviews with uh, various special guests. Uh, if you are interested in like a specific uh, type of like movie series or uh, certain movie companies, then I've done tons of them. There's uh, again, as we mentioned throughout the podcast, there's PixMix where I talk about Pixar films, Dream Machine where I talk about DreamWorks films, the Roald Dahl retrospective where I talked about um, adaptations based off of Roald Dahl's books. Uh, there's also Journey to the Blue Sky where I cover Blue Sky Studios films. And then there's In Search of the Crystal Skull, where I talk about um, films that are rated 60 to 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, as of the making of this, I just posted up a new episode of Casual Chats where I interviewed Rebecca Boza, who you may know as Rebecca Rose on YouTube, Sweet. where she did analytical videos on stuff such as Steven Universe and Amphibia and The Owl House. And uh, we talked about her time doing those videos and even when she became a production assistant on The Owl House. And as mentioned before, on Monday, which is going to be Memorial Day, uh, we're going to be having a podcast dedicated to quest for camelot so stay tuned there for we go <laughs> yeah it is, it is a massive party absolutely anywhere it's a party yeah and once again uh if you are in the atlanta area and you're going to be over at the georgia convention center please come over to momocon and see my panel which is um writing analytical essays on media it's going to be at room 404 my panel is going to be at um, let's see, it's going to be on Sunday, uh, May 28th at 8.30 a.m. Stellar, 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 stellar. Okay, well, thanks again for just revisiting history with us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Anytime. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jack